So uh, this is a brilliant podcast, and we're now in, into the into the seventies in terms of episode numbers. But um, we're getting a little bit more freeform in terms of when I'm doing the order of the interviews. So this probably won't come out for a month or two, because um, really what I'm trying to do with this third season of uh, the Brilliant is I'm trying to basically attempt to define through conversation what anarchism is in 2018 that's different than it was in 2010 and and actually um this week i'm talking to rotten and for those of you who don't know uh rotten and i uh as actually what was just saying we met 20 years ago it was like the week before the battle of seattle uh at a conference that was happening at the evergreen campus and it was ostensibly an anarchist gathering and we have been We've never directly collaborated on a project, but this, at the same time that I was part of Anarchy Magazine was when uh, Rotten was part of Green Anarchy Magazine, and um, uh, along with a with a third person. An anarchist gathering that Michael Albert was part of. <laughs> well, wasn't it Michael Albert? It, there was, <laughs> he was some, a main speaker. Yeah, no, but there was some. It was some crazy. Yeah. Like, like that was actually when John still mm. had enough. Yep. <clears throat> get up and go to to go at it with Michael Albert. He did more than just say, well. I was here last year. Why do I have to even talk anymore? I know, he didn't listen. I know. He but, still had fire. But I mean, I mean, he went after Michael Albert yep. for hours. Yep. It was hours. And and I mean, in hindsight, I don't remember the conversation ever being very good because they never could agree to terms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just felt like it was a definitional thing. Michael Albert also wouldn't answer any direct questions. Well, because he doesn't. I mean, he didn't answer the questions because they weren't in the realm that he yeah. has. Like he didn't know. Like he didn't understand. Where the questions were coming from. Yeah. I mean, I actually feel like I run into this more often now than, than I did before. Because <clears throat> at this point, the version of post-left anarchism that I'm associated with, there are so many like half-assed misunderstandings about that <clears throat> that to, to even start most conversations where people ask their questions, it means to roll back all of this shit. And most people, frankly, I don't, for lack of a better language, I don't feel like they deserve the time. <laughs> Like, like you know, like when you think about John at that time, yeah. John had been doing his thing for twenty ish years, yeah. and so so it's this it's this time where like Michael had been doing his thing for ten to twenty years longer than John, yeah. but at that point was just coming up with the Paracon stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck do they have to talk about? Completely different worlds. Completely different worlds. Yeah, and I was new. I was new coming to the anarchist scene at that point. I'd only been around it a couple of years, and so. I had a different impression of things at that point, too. I probably was slightly more sympathetic than I would be a couple years later to Michael Albert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I probably put John a little bit higher up sure, than, than, he would today. than I would today. I mean, I love John. <laughs> how many we'll, times, get in, we'll get into John. Yeah, I'm how many sure. times are you going to say that during this conversation? <laughs> I'm just going to make the disclaimer at the beginning. John's always a friend first. After that, you know, diminishing degrees of... Of comrade, of, of comrade. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Love you, John. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's a ton of reasons for us to sit down and talk, and and I sort of haven't done it uh, up till now, mostly because I had to chase you down. Yeah, right. And and it isn't necessarily natural for me to come up here and and my uh, V8 was a lot faster than your motorcycle, so it took a while for you to catch up to me. Yeah, <laughs> I really I caught a, I caught up with you when you had to fill refill the tank with gas. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, um, it, it, I'm, I'm glad to be doing this, Aragorn. You know, I, I did kind of disappear for a while. Sure. And uh, 
you know, you mentioned 2010. That was probably my most disappeared time. That's true. And over the past couple of years, I've been coming back into things. Well, I mean, you're into things and you're not, you're not into things. I mean, we, yeah. we happen to be talking in the country, and one of the things that you'll hear as a listener is that the, the, it's, it's off and on rain today, and, you know, we're looking at mountains and, and rain clouds rolling over mountains. There's a wind chime that sometimes There's a wind chime that's off. going off. <laughs> Anyways, the point is that we're in a more naturalistic environment than most of the time when we've hung out, which yeah. has been in Eugene. Yep. Or down in the Bay Area. Or down in the Bay. But, but really, like, I would come up to, for Eugene for a week at a time, yeah. and, and we would hang out. And, you know, around the time that you were done with GA, Green Anarchy as a project, you were done with anarchists. And in particular, you were done with sarcastic assholes like myself. <laughs> One of many things I was done with. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And so to the extent to which you're, quote unquote, coming back, I mean, really, like you live in a place that has a surprising density of anarchists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've net. To the extent to which you live here, you're not exactly away. Yeah. But anarchism here is a lot different than anarchism as a publisher. For sure. Um, you know, the, the pace and the pressure and the tension and the acrimony and the nonsense that you, that you basically walked away from all of that. I mean, the short, the short response to that would be, I can't believe what I put myself through publishing yeah. an anarchist project, being engaged with the anarchist world, yeah. the anarchist scene, and... A big reason I left was I saw where the, where everything was headed in the anarchist scene, and I needed to reclaim some of my life back. Like I, I look back at those times and I realize all all of my days were consumed with the proliferation of these ideas and and projects, but I wasn't really finding enough joy in my own life. I wasn't I wasn't guiding my own existence to the level I wanted to. Sure. And so we moved down. To a relatively remote area and disengage. Did the project for two years after moving down here, mostly on my own at that point, and then realized, okay, I need to do something else. And it was only the past couple of years when more and more anarchists started moving to this area that I started to think twice about my total disengagement and started writing some for a couple smaller publishing groups. Can I plug them? Sure. Enemy combatant. I started mm-hmm. writing some stuff for. Yeah, and, uh, you have an essay in uh, which which pamphlet? Uh, there's the one about uh, egoism. What's oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> well, there's some critiques of egoism. It's the one that critiques egoism. It's like ego against egoism. Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple uh, nihilistic, misanthropic things I've written that haven't come out yet. Hmm. Uh, not to say that that's where I'm at, but that's where I have the most to say. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the, where I feel like uh, the conversation needs to be uh, flushed out a little more. Mm, that's on, great. On those edges. You know, a more anti-humanist and approach w- mm-hmm. to things. And why haven't you written for Black Suit yet? Uh, I will. Don't worry. Well, in fact, I want to say the last issue, which is about a year old now. Five, yeah. Five years old? No, no. <laughs> Black Suit 5. Yes. Uh, Black Suit 5. I was most impressed with. So I'm waiting until, you know, it's... It's up to my par, mm-hmm. you know, to where I can be. Okay, I can write for this. <laughs> no, I'm going to. Don't worry. Soon. The um, uh, Black Seed 6 is probably coming out this week. Okay, so, so. I won't make it in that one. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> seven. I like seven. I mean, what's what's interesting about, um, you know, sort of talking, like the two of us, for people who don't know, we've actually always gotten along a great deal because yeah. we are, our personalities are a lot alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The other thing is, is that we really met 
around the conversation about nihilism. Yep. Yep. And you know, it's funny in hindsight, I would sort of say that, like, you know, sure, yes, uh, I'm really interested in nihilism, but I wrote that like, like a long time ago. I'm not realizing it's like 15 years ago. Yeah. The, the the piece that the was piece first that published in GA yeah. was called uh, Nihilism and Strategy, mm-hmm. and it was sort of talking about. I mean, it was, it was very initial thoughts about like how do we decouple the the things that we do from the idea of of ends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Um, and you know, so so in that sense, nihilism was used to sort of say, how, how does that decoupling happen? Yep. And um, I, I thought those were some of the most provocative pieces you were writing at the time. I was happy you were bringing them to the magazine because it needed to be a part of what we were doing. Because you know, our goal in the magazine, me and one other accomplice who were the main people behind it. Uh, was to really provide a space for lots of different anti-civilization perspectives to have a voice. That is being said with there was a primitivist kind no, of... No, your, your third editor was John Zerzan. Yeah, so there was always this litmus of is this primitivist enough coming from one of the collective members. So it was always... We were always trying to push at the edges of it, you know, and when the Nihilist stuff started coming in, uh, I was excited, yeah, because it was offering something new. Yeah, the it's interesting just to talk a little bit about your editorial process, which you know, I, at the time because uh, the Ajoda Collective was fairly new, it had been handed off to us from Jason, and then um, from Jason McQuinn. Um, our, I think we had a bit more of a challenge. Maybe it was really similar, but but did you do like? Did you talk about how a piece reconciled with a political line? Did you ever have those sort of conversations? Or was it always like just every editor being like, I accept this, let's we, move on? It, we, we, we voted. And oh, you did? We did. And, and you know. And was it three or was it well, five you know, people when we who first, usually? When we first took on the project at, at issue five, for those that don't know, we took it over from Saxon Wood who was somehow involved with Green Anarchist in England. I don't know how big he was and started hanging around the Earth First scene in but, Eugene. But his anarchism was a much oh. more orthodox anarchism. He, he, was a, he was a classical anarchist who had a garden. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that was... He, he appreciated the diggers more than, more than anything else. And more than Earth First. More, more than Earth First. And we... You we, all came from out of Earth First. We came out of Earth First for the most part. Uh, had a, weren't, weren't as uh, uh, humanist as he was. Weren't as into classical anarchy. We took it on a five. At that point, there was a bunch of us. There was like six or seven mm. um, that ranged all the way from people who were uh, really militant leftists, I would say, mm-hmm. to totally misanthropic, kind of the whole range. And then it kind of whittled down after right. one or two projects. It became two or three of us. Sure. Uh, four at, at one point that were really putting it out. And me and one other person, I'll call them... I'll call. Uh, we'll give him. Well, anyway, the other guy, the other my the other main accomplice, uh, really had a more open view of it all. Mm-hmm. And for us, it wasn't about primitivism. And for me, the bottom line was: Does this article, does this letter, does it offer something new, interesting to provoke a conversation? Sure. Where John, if he didn't like it, he'd always write these little disclaimers, and that didn't say anything. It was almost like he had to say, "Well, I don't agree with this, so I'm mm-hmm. going to at least say something." Where. I didn't think that was necessary. How many articles did he do that with? Like 10? He did it with about probably 10 articles. Yeah. And there were ones we usually debated as to whether we were going to run them or not. 
Sure. And that was the agreement we came up with. Okay, John, you can write something. And my hope was that he would write something that actually challenged the article. Yeah, sure. Because that would be great. But usually it wasn't that. Usually it was a bad faith little blur. Usually basically. it was like that's too leftist or same old same old shit here. Right. You know, nothing really that that engaged the article. I will say that that John was, you know, I'm going to mention Bob Black a couple times. Um, he was Bob Black. Uh, but but John is is worth noting that he was sort of ahead of the curve by arguing with things he disagreed with by assertion yep. rather than by engagement. And so as frustrating as I found the, the letter, letters column of Ajota to be for many years, those were mostly good faith arguments where people were actually like trying to flesh out why they're, what, what the disagreement was. Yeah. And, and John, you know, with the way in which he disagrees with people by just basically being like, Oh, this has been said before. Yeah. Like, what kind of fuck? I mean, he does that all the time. Like, yeah. what does that mean? And does it everything more, and more? Everything's been said before. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, it, that was that was the one. That was one of the major disappointments in working on that project with John. I mean, it was great to work with John. We have a lot of affinity in a lot well, of ways. Mostly, and he he really brings the resources. He brings the resources. Him and I traveled Europe twice doing yes. talks, um, and, which is one of the things I appreciate about John is he's able to kind of take the role that say Derek had at one point mm -hmm. or uh, uh, Daniel Quinn or uh, to, to a lesser really extent that, but, yeah. but as far as like reaching people outside sure. of the anarchist world and so I appreciated that we'll get to where it's come mm -hmm. sure. now at some point but we saw it coming you know mm -hmm. the, the rigid the rigidity of, of that perspective well and obviously it was the openness of GA that, that you know when I was starting to think about having the resources to put together Black Seed you know our initial goal looked like really trying to emulate the, the we'll call it trifold tension mm -hmm. that was happening mm -hmm. in, in GA, which, you know, on the one hand, um, anarcho-primitivism, on, on the other hand, sort of like an eclectic blend of like, who in the hell knows how you reconcile it. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then the third... Those were my favorites. And then the third um, <laughs> being the 12-word-long the hyphenated... <laughs> anarchism that you uh, landed on there at the end um but but yeah i was actually just saying last night that um that krishna murdy article oh yeah it's still i every time i see krishna i'm like oh i gotta i gotta remember to check that out because yeah. that article is pretty good oh yeah it was, it was oh, like yeah. a pretty uh and made no sense in the green anarchist publication no well uh, yeah exactly and and you know we caught we caught shit for that that kind of approach from like when we did our spirituality issue people got so upset that we even we're going to do a spirituality issue. And, but we wanted to touch on things that weren't being touched on anywhere else. And we wanted to like, okay, this, if, if we really think civilization needs to be destroyed, like we can't just sit in a little room and, and with, with 10 ideas of what that looks like. For me, it was like, I want to see every idea of what mm -hmm. that looks like, where everyone's coming, where all these different perspectives are coming from, their critiques of it, how it affects them. You know, some guy working in a factory in Detroit is going to have an entirely different perspective on civilization and what an what a post civilization anti civilization thing would look like than someone living where I am right now or in Peru or wherever. So that that was my goal. Well, and it's funny. It's now ten years, more than ten years after that issue came out, and I guess that perspective, as it turns out, is the winning perspective in a lot of ways. You mean spirituality? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my goal was never to see it turn out that way. Like for me, for me, spirituality was always a, a way of expressing an unmediated connection to everything around me. 
Like it's really vague and really personal. Sure. To see people take take it to mean something very specific is pretty disgusting to me. You know, if they see it as their own specific thing, that's great. But to to talk about it as something we all need to adopt is I don't see how you can have that as an anarchist perspective. Yeah, I, I um I definitely have some mixed well, feelings about it. I mean, I would definitely like if say, someone thinks they're being visited by an owl and it's telling them things, <laughs> that's cool. That's great. Or if you know a, a rattlesnake is telling them about their cousin's addiction, like that's great. You know, awesome. <laughs> if you believe that, sure. But let's end it at you believe this happened, and it, it only happens to you as far as you know. <laughs> I mean, I. Uh, it's interesting that you that you put your finger so hard on that because. I guess there is an argument that what did happen to GA that I've definitely been fighting uh, around Black Seed since the beginning is that uh, <clears throat> you all took sides in a way I didn't exactly recognize at the time about the individual versus society on the side of the individual. Mm-hmm. And that by and large, the direction that, that you all as people went, not not John, but you know the others... Um, did so you landed an awful lot of the time on that's your trip that's a person's thing rather than um i mean you know obviously the positive side of that is that you were never doctrinaire about things that you could have been Mm -hmm. um but i think that nowadays spirituality isn't necessarily seen just as an, an individual thing yeah and it's sort of that tent that social versus uh individuated tension seems to have been lost as a mm-hmm. as a, t- a talking point because you know the current generation of quote-unquote green anarchists by and large believe that they are spiritual and and believe that all the other people around them are too yeah well it looks like i got out at the right time i'm sure <laughs> i mean i do i will say i do regret 30 percent of the articles we ran in green Anarchy. really yeah looking back at it um only because i do think there were some articles that went a little too far in the preachy realm. You know, they, I, mean, I mean, just to 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 to, to be devil. Some I even wrote. No, no, I well, that, that I would agree with. <laughs> but, but I mean, to be the devil's advocate, there, like almost every issue, you had some pieces that were made for the the baby anarchists. Yeah, yeah. the one hundred and one. And kinda. a lot of those were preachy because the nature of writing manifestos all the time is that those manifestos make very simple points yeah um and it's hard to argue that that wasn't one of the strengths of the of the um i mean really if we're going to talk about the content i would talk about the um the jam together <laughs> nature of the design of the, of the papers, <laughs> where, where like if it was physically possible to put 3200 words on a page that's pretty you much know, how many words the nine point there. font was, <laughs> was one i was really yeah. a big fan of now that i'm in my late 40s and need, need reading glasses like i i can't figure out what's what's in the ingredients of something i buy <laughs> right. uh i'm a little more sympathetic yeah. I, mean, I used to put out this zine before Green Anarchy, there was like a year overlap where I used nine point font as my largest font. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a hundred pages of a zine format. And the last issue, I was actually going to include a, a magnifying glass with it. And I, I, I was pretty ornery at that point. Like I was in my late 20s. And I was like, well, fuck the old people. They, they're going to be dead. <laughs> they soon they anyway. can't get it. Yeah, they can't get it. So they aren't, yeah. So I'm, I feel a little different. I, I've grown a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've shrunk a lot. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, one of the things that's challenging about the, about that assessment, though, 
is how predictable it is. Yeah. And that's the thing that is sort of, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I want to say terrifying, but like, like so many people who seem like they have such strong, well-thought opinions, and then you meet them again in five years, and then you meet them again in five years, and they're just the same person over and over and over again. I mean, I have to admit, uh, not not to talk too far out of out of the context that we're talking about, but um, I just went to an event on Friday where I got to see wholesome country life, <laughs> and I mean it was like amazing because I know that all these people ten to fifteen years ago would have been my peers, like yeah. they would have been gnarly street punks yeah. or or whatever in the fuck, and now it like literally was like a cleaned up Carhartt <laughs> hoedown with like with like adorable little ch- white children running around with their with their shoes off. It was, it was like. I, seriously, the Muppets could have come on, and it, no one would have blinked an eye. And I'm in a country band now, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're in a country band. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but uh, well, and I think part of the just to go on that topic just for a second, as far as the it's recording, right? <laughs> I can't do this twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can't. <laughs> um, the cramming everything in, and I was telling someone about this a couple weeks ago. Um, that I like to put as much into something, the density of it. Yeah. Like GA, we saw something that people may pick up in 15 years and look at and be like, oh, wow. And so I always look at every project I'm engaged in as my last final word sure. that I could die tomorrow and I at least want to get this done yeah. and filled with as much stuff, which works in some ways. You know, my friend Dan Todd always hates it. He thinks we should have a picture in two words on yeah. every page. Yeah. But it does work in later on when people look back, they can find stuff in it. And also it gets projects done, having that attitude for me. Like if I think I'm not going to be around tomorrow, I want to make sure this project is done. What else and you, when you work you, with a bunch of slackers who, yeah. who don't see things that way, it helps really just push the project to get to the printer on time, sure. to get mailed, to do all these things. Uh, yeah, I mean, the way that I see that problem is, is that it does allow you to not have to... Um, have the fights every time yeah in other words if you like what how i describe it in the context of little black Kurt is also and rather than either or yeah yeah and so it means that you you as a collective don't have to take hard lines on certain positions you can you can just put both in yeah yeah and and move on rather than than have to duke it out every fucking time as long as you have the money to do 100 pages which we luckily did for a number of years sure. somehow we were able to fund it and not too much of it. I mean, we, we put our own sweat into it and some of our money, but, you know, the, the hundred zine distro, the videos, the books, and the big amounts of cash people would roll into town and give us. Right. Really helped out. Yeah. I mean, that's how Black Seed is a really different project because we never are put, going to put a cover price on it yeah. because the era of the magazine is over. Oh, yeah. And, but as a result, it's a fixed length Yep. And so it's like free, fixed length, and and free. Yeah. So anyways. Um, but So besides the, the, the jam-packed nature of, of Green mm-hmm. Anarchy, what else do you think we that you, that you have a criticism of? Oh, uh, I mean, on some level, I'm not the right person to ask. Because, um, you know, first of all, I was your peer. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I was thinking about the same problems and, and related to your solutions to those problems at the time. And then, and then separately from that, 
like you know after you all were over i'm the one who pushed you all to to turn it into a book yeah 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 right the anthology book yep. uncivilized you know was a product of me sitting the two of you down pulling out every issue mm -hmm. and you and you pointing to the ones that you wanted to be in the in the book i mean like the book possibly would have never happened it's true if if i you know like, so, so i'm so glad it happened too um because now people ask me what, what, what issue did, do you recommend? You? And I'm like, yeah. well, actually, this book actually has my favorite stuff. It's yeah. the only thing I wish the book had, and we can do it someday, is some of the more comedic sure. aspects of it. Because that was always my, not my favorite part, but it was a part that really uh, lightened up the heaviness that, that we sometimes yeah. got into. And still, it keeps me going. Like, if it wasn't for comedy, my brains would be splattered all over a wall by now. Yeah. You know? Well, separate from the column, there were also some pieces that were funny. Yeah. Yeah. That made it in it over the years. What were some of those pieces that you liked? Uh, well, I, columns, I always liked the Waldorf and Statler. Yeah. yeah that that right. was genius. I mean, but that was the comedy column. Re the reviews, I think, really were a place that... Right, we never... None of the reviews, none of the reviews got in. And some of them oh, were my... Oh, yeah. Like, when I look back now, I go to the review section right. just to see how funny we were, how big of assholes we were. Well, the AK Press review that you did. Yeah. That really started... Uh, um, a kind of conversation that was necessary but but uh never really, really pretty much was. ended it for us in any relationship with ak press yeah um, but it was over before it started on that well, one. but there's a way in which that was part of the inspiration for little black cart mm -hmm. um because i knew that if you guys so what happened was uh well, ga never got carried by ak if that's if i am correct uh they were th thinking about it for a while and actually the book fair where we were told we couldn't attend was right after a meeting they had saying making the decision that green anarchy wouldn't be carried that's fascinating because uh we were told we were not anarchists because we didn't represent a very specific uh way to organize workers uh or something along those yeah. lines so this was a time when the bay area book fair or the san francisco book fair was organized by bound together but in point of fact, one of the collective members of Bound Together was was Ramsey Khan, who of course at that time was the you know the boss man of AK Press, and so the uh, so publishing actually at that time was a way in which you could express your your position and your disagreements, and so the next issue of GA included this long criticism of AK Press mm -hmm. and and this moment and and sort of. It was it, it was the classic of the the green versus red anarchists. Mm -hmm. it, it articulated that, and then AK Press, to their credit, whether it's obnoxious or not, it's another topic. But to their credit, the next book fair they printed the entire review on a oh, yeah. on a banner <laughs> and hung the banner over their <laughs> I table. I forgot about that. And and you know it's like on the one hand, like obviously like like um, their sense of humor is not my sense of humor. Yeah. On the other hand, this was a demonstration that they did have a sense of humor yeah. about it, and and uh, and even though it was a hostile, like it was hostile, it was perhaps hostile in a good way. Yeah. No, I I was I was amazed to see words I had written so large. Yeah. Going from a nine pointer <laughs> in font to like twenty four like, or something. Yeah. <laughs> probably more like eighty font yeah. on the banner. <laughs> well, they put a lot of words on that banner. <laughs> <I mean>. <laughs> <laughs> to their credit. Yeah. Yeah, they knew they had to. <laughs> I know you also don't like the uh, the musical references, the Tom Waits and the Bob Dylan. Oh words. yeah, that's true. I do, man. What, it, it's not that I don't like them. It's that it's, too much. Of it's them. a dis it's a distinctive character of your projects. Yeah. that is uh, always on the um, uh, the talking points of making fun of it. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, we actually do. We're just having, you know, we have a new uh, group that's putting together Black Seed. So this is now the second to- totally different group yeah. um, putting together the project. And so so some of these people have less experience with publishing than others. And, yeah. and, and I was basically trying to explain to them why we need to have this sort of like pile of like poems and, and stuff. To grab to, at. to fill in yeah. to fill in gaps and, yep. and to and to make com, you know complete pages because our design person will shorten a column to rather than fill the page yeah. so shorten a column and like leave uh, what what I feel to be strange yeah. chunks of white space and yeah I, I realize you I would, would have a fi- yeah you would have a physical reaction to it but <laughs> but I just I just I'm, I'm like this is our time to say the things we want to say. Let's say them. Yeah. And and if, if they aren't complete thoughts, let, let's have this pile of like filler. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we'll just fill it with Leonard Cohen <laughs> and Bobby Dylan. But no one understands well, how that's funny other than me, you know. But, but um, my, my, my co-conspirator, because I, I did all the layout, which I, I saw as a Tetris game in mm-hmm. a way. And, and we're paying for every little square yeah. inch of this. Yeah. Let's make it count. And he was great at uh, uh, compiling like poems Sloganeering, he used to call it. Yeah. Which now that 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 word just makes me shiver <laughs> yeah. in like how wretched that idea is, but it worked at the time. Sure. And uh, I think he he's, he said sloganeering with a sneer as he said it. Yeah. Sloganeering. <laughs> Poems, rants, you know. I, for me, for me, it was part of the aesthetic. Of, of no, no, sure, sure. I mean, I, I mean, you had an aesthetic that that in hindsight we can now point at it yeah. like. 90s era yeah 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 you know even though it was mostly in the early 2000s mm-hmm. but like this is what that looked like you know mm-hmm. and the project went on from 2002 to 2007 i think it was seven so it's been about so it was like a five-year arc it was about basically. five years and we did it quarterly for most of that and then the last couple of years it went to twice a year and then there was like it was Once, a year yeah. gap for the so you did 24 one. altogether we ended on 25 uh-huh. and we did 21 of them the first four we, we were right the, right, the first right. the, the first three we weren't a part of the four one we were with Saxon fifth one we did on our own right so when you look back at the project from a content perspective what are the pieces that are like your top three uh, well the action reports were always a big oh, one really? for me you like, you like that um, I mean I how were they different than the EF action reports uh, well the the co-conspirator who co-conspirator who mostly compiled it uh, added his own analysis his twist yeah that his twisted twist especially on the animals gone wild and the, mm-hmm. we had this one section for uh it didn't fit into any category uh i forget what we called that section we tried to keep the uh when animals attack for black yeah. seed yeah. but actually this issue we dropped it animals aren't doing as much these days well <laughs> honestly the problem is is that the internet really filled a lot of that gap it's true and that and when we were really at a time when people were just starting to get news from the internet so we felt like we and one of the reasons we stopped too is because the internet was doing so much it it seemed pointless to continue doing what we were doing you would hear about an action three months after it happened yeah I mean it's almost like that happened it needed to end when it ended for lots of reasons we were all tired of it mostly personal mostly personal but then that was also going on it's like now like I'm getting old and I'm grumpy and it works out great you know, the world's getting worse and worse, and I could be grumpy. It's not just me getting old. <laughs> so you're saying that back when your eyes still had stars and then the yeah. world wasn't going to No, help. it wasn't as bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A few things needed to be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> or broken. And that's what you saw with Soji as, like a little mechanic. <laughs> just cranking little, little But once little I took my, over, my car and overalls off... <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but but actually the review section I thought was 
you know, so what even was, though we what got some of your favorite reviews. Uh, mine. Mm-hmm. Like which one? <laughs> the slingshot one. I thought was. I thought was a. That was a. That was definitely a cruelty. I mean, I mean, the ones that really just drove the knife in and twisted it, mm-hmm. because I think they were all. They were all subjects that really needed to be like, come on, we're tired of hearing this. Whatever, whether it's a slingshot and they're like Bay Area sort of liberal radical kind of like mm-hmm. shit. AK Press. Uh, what's, what's the punk one? Profane. Profane. Or slugging. Slugging. Slugging lettuce. They were all ones that we got a ton of shit for. We got kicked out of a house that we were working on for the slugging lettuce one. Oh, that's funny. And it's like, do you disagree with any of this? Right. Like, sorry, we were saying it, but right. we have to. It needs to be said. Um, there was positive ones too. We we gave reviews. It was like we were 180 degrees. Either we really liked something or we really hated it. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a lot of the yeah. It's got some good stuff. Yeah. No, definitely. I went a different direction. I went for the whole nuance thing. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. We nuance wasn't working. Yeah, in that the wasn't really the GA. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the essays, like oh. like. There's Obviously, so many. I mean, there's, I mean, like there's thousands that, of them. But there's that John essay that you that you all wanted in the book. Which one? Do you want? I think silence or listen or. Well, I know it wasn't uh, the animal dreams. <laughs> 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 I, I think the magazine was done by then, but we wouldn't have printed. That would have gotten vetoed. You think that would have been possible? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, especially if if black and green was was going on, he could have mm-hmm. just ran it there. Sure. But. Uh, I don't even know. I, I should have brought them with me, my, the articles. Yeah, I, mean, I actually didn't think I will say my, my favorites were the ones I wrote, uh-huh. which I, pro- I probably wrote four or five in every issue under different names. So that is that is a big difference between GA and almost any other publication that, that has been in the anarchist space is how much the editors were the authors. Yeah. And do you think that that's be- the nature of like wanting there to be sort of like at least half the magazine of having solid content yeah i think i think we wanted like like we would come up with a theme for most issues and we took it on ourselves to at least write a few key pieces on the theme on the theme to kind of and then we got a lot of submissions and a lot of them were good so i would say like 30 30 to 40 percent were written by us and that was great because it 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 gave us another added incentive to put it out like sure and you and your accomplice change names like oh, yeah. crazy I, I i used one name repeatedly which was felonious skunk uh-huh. which was more of my editorial kind of like uh-huh. voice some of my, my reviews often were written by him but then i would pick a name just for the article right and i would even somewhat get into a character to write the article yeah. and so some you could tell oh that's rotten and other ones like no well, maybe it's rotten i don't know but that was fun too and i remember we got Someone would give... I forget who it was. I got into an argument with someone about anonymity in writing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I could see both sides of that. Yes. Like, I could see... Okay, John Zerzan's writing an article. He doesn't have to... If... Hypothetically, he wouldn't have to start at ground zero every time. It would be a continuation of what he was already talking right. about. Right. Where someone you don't know uh, may have to give a little more of an understanding of where they're coming from mm-hmm. as a preface to things. Although by being a GA... That was perhaps the context to which to understand the author. True, true. But I think a little more groundwork needed to be laid for for other other mm-hmm. authors than you would with a recognized name. Uh, for me, the an- the anonymity was great because then you don't read into stuff as much. Like if someone's reading something by John, yeah, he could say uh, anarchy is the most important thing in the world to me. But we all know, like, no primitivism is the most right. important thing right. in the world to you. So there's certain assumptions. 
that come right. along with a recognized name that aren't there with other names. So yeah, I like that freedom. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, at the time, I think I I was frustrated with GA and the the changing of the names because for me, I guess a, a core goal of writing is to have a conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I continue to write under my own name with the assumption that someone will c come up to me and have a conversation with me. But by and large, that it, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And and so there's an there's a way in which um, I'm not getting what I want yeah. out of writing. Um, it's why it, I mean, and but definitely doing it the way that you all did it wasn't going to accomplish that. Yeah. No. That, that by and large, the only people who you have the conversations with that you want to have have are the people who are with you in the project. Yep. Yeah. And that and I mean I and I came to that. To, discovery many years later and that's a that sucks i hate that it kind of takes some of the some of the wind out of your sails mm -hmm. for sure i mean the consequence for me is it's is it means that like if i'm interested in somebody i try to get them to collaborate with me as soon as possible because it's the only real way from, from my perspective to get someone to cross that threshold to actually being able to, to talk to you about what you want to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have a person who recently moved to the bay area and they have done everything in their power to demonstrate that they want to have the conversations with us. And so it's like the next step is collaborate with yeah. us, you know, start to do some stuff with us. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, whereas, you know, by and large, when if a stranger comes to you and they know you through writing, they, ha it's weird. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I, you know, one thing I liked about the, the themed issues we did was mm -hmm. it really challenged me, uh, to tackle subjects I may not have really even right. given much thought before and so like like i did a utopian article i never really gave much thought to utopia i mean i mm -hmm. did when i was younger and i was like you know when i when i was a teenager when you were pre-political pre-political you know i thought oh yeah utopia cool dude you know i was kind of social what was your piece in that in that issue i wrote the the long uh beyond utopian article it's like mm -hmm. eleven thousand words or something is it really yeah wow and i and i basically did research on utopias. I mean, I came into it knowing I was against utopias in general, the, the concept of it. You smell something burning? It's fire, yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, See what happens when we get together, Aragorn? Well, things combust. <laughs> well, it's fascinating because it's like, okay, I don't know the area to, to know well enough who's burning it. it and it, because it's raining at the same time, yeah. it's like I'm not afraid that yeah. all of a sudden a wildfire is going to come, come up. But it's sort of nice. This is like this. We're at a campfire. Yeah, this is like the country living thing. So <laughs> wonderful. It was yeah. We can get on. We can go on topics. Of, we had lightning the other night. It was so beautiful because we don't, we only get lightning here in the summer when it's completely dry. So we we get scared. Right. Right. But when it's wet and there's lightning, wow. Actually, during the Sonoma fire that that uh, happened, that was that took down thousands of acres and tons and tons of people were were impacted during that period. Not one property away from us, but two properties away from us. But we could see it out a bedroom window. Someone, uh, a fire started at like five o'clock in the morning. Wow! And it it was enough to wake us up. And I'm looking out the window, and I'm I'm trying to position where our fire extinguishers are on the property. I'm like, I'm this is oh yeah, like this is fucking scary. Yeah. Like, well, we, we like this could take us all out. We live on a dead end mountain road with dry dry timber all around us. Yeah, half the year, and it's. It is scary, and with all the dumb fucks out there, I'm not. I'm amazed there's not more random wildfires yeah. all the time. Well, the Earth. Fifteen years ago, I would have said, "Bring on the wildfires." Right. 
<laughs> so let's let's bring this conversation into a more modern era. And I'm actually not so interested in talking about John because I um, I don't think actually he's what's important about what's yeah. happening nowadays. I will say though, can I? Can mm-hmm. I think the corrosive elements book, corrosive uh, consciousness, corrosive, corrosive consciousness, is an important step in the anti-civilization discourse. Um, I really think it it hits on all the subjects that the primitivist uh, ideologues that we were trying to tell them 10, 15 years ago, and they they wouldn't listen from their peers about it. And now it's being touched on in a way that's intelligent, hopefully can be absorbed. I have less enthusiasm that Kevin will be able to absorb any of it. I think John might be able to hear. So uh, for those of you who haven't heard about this book yet, this is a book by a uh, former co-host of the brilliant uh, Bellamy Fitzpatrick. Uh, so the book is called Cross of Consciousness, which refers to sort of having the capacity to have critical thinking. That's sort of what his goal is from the book. But it's actually a minor aspect of the book. The book really is his break um, from anarcho-primitivism. But what he does that's totally appropriate and totally necessary is he doesn't just say, anarcho-primitivism is dumb because they want to kill all of the people. <laughs> you know, which that tends to be where these conversations yeah. start, and they're just a waste of time yeah. on that level. But instead what it does is it basically says, I was a fanboy of anarcho-primitivism and in the process of being a fanboy i had questions mm-hmm. here are what the questions are he's he's very specific yeah. and instead of answering me i basically got blown off and disrespected yep. and so that made me basically want to want to not just challenge my assumptions but challenge the mm-hmm. assumptions of ap and what this book does that is the fantastic project, the project that nobody else wanted to do, but many people have talked about it for many years, is it cites chapter and verse mm-hmm. of how anarcho-primitivism has defended itself, how it has committed not just logical fallacies, but factual fallacies mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. the place. And, cherry-picking uh, uh, anthropology. I and it, it again, it cites, it cites chapter and verse on the, mm-hmm. the cherry-picking. Mm-hmm. I mean... And it, in my opinion, it does it in a nice way. Yep, yep. Like for me, if I were to have written a similar book, I would have started with ego side and ended with ego side. <laughs> <laughs> animal dreams had to be in there somewhere, though. Maybe animal dreams, but, but the the other piece I would have maybe spent some time. I on mean, was, the monogamous geese—they need to be freed, right? Oh. <laughs> I mean, Kevin about two years ago published this big long piece about about denouncing Facebook. Yeah. And then just recently bought an ad on Facebook. <laughs> but anyways, Bellamy is a better person than either Rotten or I are. <laughs> I mean, I, he, he's great. He really is. Like, yeah. he, no, I had a chance he, to talk to him after I read it. And we, for three hours on the phone, we're just like two little school kids, like giggling. and Because we have the same critiques of, of I mean, we both fully appreciate the origin stuff John did. You know, vital stuff, I think, in an an- in the anti-civilization discourse. Which is not the same thing as saying it's true. No, exactly. It seemed like he went from a point of bringing up questions, asking questions, being like, uh, really trying to dig things up to, I have the answers and these are what they are, and if you don't like them, you're, you're part of the problem. And then you bring up the ITS stuff and the use of violence and comparing that to his endorsement of Ted Kaczynski... And, and meanwhile, the world is becoming even more and more of what it is now, this horrific thing. Yeah, and yeah. we're supposed to suddenly all automatically be like, oh, well, violence is 
is wrong, except, and it's stuff, you know, like I said, it's stuff we we were challenging John with 10, 10 15 Long years ago. Yeah. And he at first you get this like, hmm, hmm, interesting. And if you keep bringing the questions up, it gets more and more hostile towards you. Sure. And if you're not willing to sit down and discuss all these things, then what, what are you out there for it other than promoting your... A brand. A brand, exactly. And when that brand gets challenged, they get defensive. Well, I mean, frankly, when the brand gets challenged, you get called a postmodernist yeah. and dismissed. <laughs> I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. Or you're just a navel-gazing back to the lander. Yeah. And, yeah, none of that really goes anywhere. Right. Except maybe sells books. Maybe. Maybe, but probably not. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unclear how, you know, I mean, this is actually a place where it is worth mentioning uh, Derek Jensen in the context of mm -hmm, John, mm -hmm. because, you know, John was one of the people who helped Derek find an audience, mm -hmm. and then Derek became larger than John because Derek's audience is not uh, a milieu audience. Nope. You know, it's it's uh, suburban housewives and and people upset. Mostly her. because of his sweaters, right? Well, I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've looked in his eyes, but once you look in those eyes, you never look away. Um, but the but the point I think that's interesting to, to compare and contrast them is that as much as we criticize John for some of his activity, like he is what he is, which yeah. is yeah. which is basically a mild mannered, very nice guy, yeah. Yeah. you know, living a quiet little life in Eugene, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Whereas Derek, you know, as soon as he got big britches, he really tried to fill these big britches with the idea of, like, taking over the world yeah. in a party that he just so happens to get to be at the top of. And and, and, and that that difference is worth noting. Definitely. And, and also, John was influential in the late 90s, early 2000s, in really helping support an anarchist scene that was militant, that was willing to like push push the envelope, not just in ideas but in physical confrontation as well. Mm -hmm. So like, I'll always give John credit for that. Um, I think he did go. I think part of where he ended up may have been a, a disappointment in the, in the dissolving of that of that scene. Yeah, and that to me seems a little strange because you know it, that really is a matter of where what you're looking at and yeah. where you're looking. Yeah. Because you know when you're when you're living in the Whitaker and 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 the the heat comes off the Whitaker, I mean, it landed plenty other places. Yeah, you know, for sure. I mean, the last twenty years really is a story about what was happening at at what place around the world. Yeah, and you know, if you're if you're enthusiastic about riot porn and you know young black clad men facing off against authority, like you can continue to be enthusiastic. about sure. it. it's still happening. It's yeah. But I, but I think there was sort of a, and then when when a lot of us started moving away, a lot of the a lot of the people who were actually engaged his in projects, his peers his disappeared, peers disappeared, and I think that was a frustration, and I think that helped perpetuate this. Okay, well, I'm this is what I'm here for, and this is what I'm going to keep doing. But then his 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 prescriptions for where to go to are, uh, like I said, the origin stuff are great questions to ask. The prescriptions on where to go, I don't think there's really much. What John, do you think John is offers. what is his line? Uh, I do think he thinks. Uh, we're going to reach a critical mass of people who are critical of the society. A, a, a critical of society, adopt an anarcho-primitivist line, and slowly march away from it all towards hunter-gatherer society. So and, you think in, all, in a relatively peaceful way? So and I you, think that's absurd. It, that is absurd. But <laughs> but you think that he, that his revolutionary strategy is uh, 
a transformation of people's ideas yeah. and then that will result in a um, in a changing of life life ways I do I do and to me that, that really like okay what precedent is there for that what hope is there for that like where where is this coming from other than you know uh, delusional enthusiasm hmm. really I, I, I don't I don't see what else that could come from. But again, John is and 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 some left uh, leftover residue from being the person of the sick from the sixties. Sure. And that hopeful, sure. idealistic kind of reality, which is, you know, that that was. How could you even have that at this point in the world? Yeah, but I, I, but I want to pull back from from the idea that that John is the worst offender. Of no, John. I, I mean, John yeah. is a is small leagues compared to the oh, yeah. the variety of people that have crazy ideas about how the world's going to change. Definitely. And and if John was, or even Kevin was, just one of, you know, had his, one had, in the woods, well, yeah, yeah, and sure. had his idea like this is what I hope or this is what I think can happen. That's great, cool, have that. But it's when it it's expected to be adopted sure. by a whole group of people who consider themselves green anarchists, anti-civilization anarchists. That's where the problems start for me. Well, again, we're talking about the past a bit a bit too much. Okay. Um, let's at least give a nod and, and, you know, just so you get have a chance to get in trouble. <laughs> you have been pretty friendly to the ITS phenomena. Yeah. Which, of course, has, is one of the... Well, well I don't want them to target me, so... <laughs> <laughs> really? You're going to march up from Canada? I love the ITS. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a fear-based political analysis, is what you're saying. I mean, what else could you have, really, at this point? <laughs> yeah, no, they definitely demonstrated that uh, their capacity to to destroy human life. Is... And let me preface this by saying, I only get bits and pieces. I don't really go online. Mm-hmm. You know, I go online to promote music that my band's playing. That's it. I don't get my news from anywhere online. I don't go to anarchist websites or discussions or anything like that. I barely pick up anarchist literature. I was impressed with the ITS book. Um, I'm not the, sure which one it was. The first eight communiques yeah. or something. Yeah, I was impressed because really I think there was a an acceptance of the world we live in now and the idea that any sort of humanist kind of perspective on it isn't going to get us out of this mess. What do you mean by humanist? Uh, when I use the word humanist, I usually mean that a pers- for me it means a perspective that uh, involves the hum- humanity and, and our ability to alter the social social setup of our mm-hmm. and and the caring of, of of all the different things that make up society and changing that in some way for the betterment of humanity. You know, I don't think at this point that's not a realistic goal. Like to think that we're gonna we're gonna progress out of this or move out of this in some way where everyone's gonna be lifted up to this. Hmm. To this better world. So, to the extent to which you have a nihilistic perspective, it's it starts as an anti-humanist perspective. Uh, I wish it didn't, but you know, okay, I'll say this: I used to believe that humans weren't inherently didn't inherently create all this stuff. It was domestication, civilization that funneled our. It was wrong our, ideas that did it, rather than humans themselves. Yeah. And the more I look at history, the more I look at where humans have gone, like I do think there's something about, and I'm not going to use the word human nature because I don't think we can isolate that, but I do think there is something about humans that uh, tends or at least has the capacity to create all these problems. And so I don't have this idealistic view of humans any, of humanity anymore. 
You have a negative. I have a negative. Pessimistic. A pessimistic. Uh, like I, I'm, I pretty much assume they're going to do fucked up shit. The easiest, uh, most controlling, fucked up stuff they can if they can get away with it. I mean, it does seem like flexibility does decrease as the volume yeah. of people <laughs> continues to grow, right? Yeah. They say, um, and this is from an. Is article. this where I'm going to get in trouble? This is from an article about two months ago in, in the Atlantic that the human population is probably going to stabilize around 10 billion people. <laughs> We're like between seven and eight right now. Yeah. Do you do you find any hope in that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, but but that means that to the extent to which you participate in a like total social revolution yeah. conversation, yeah. you're going to say X number of billion people got to go. I, I'm going to say it's not, I don't see any way out of this mess with 7 billion, 8 million. So you'd like to leave it open so you don't have to take responsibility for killing billions of people. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. I just can't see, like, like racking my brains for years on this, like, I can't see how there's a way out of it. I mean, yes, we could, we could, People could be forced to to do things differently. So you weren't you, know, you weren't like, initially threatened by ITS ag- agreeing with everything it is that you're saying. But instead of saying well, they don't see a way out of it, they want to accelerate that not no way out of it. I'll say this: I I am not critical of of, of like I, I understand. I'm empathetic with ITS and, okay. and where they're coming from. It's not something I'm going to engage in or want to engage in. But really, I you as a family man <laughs> living, living in the country are not going to start... To, no, uh, but I understand it. I'm certainly not going to cry, like, denounce them, say they're so fucked up for it, when really they're practicing... Do you think that their proximity to anarchism is a danger to anarchism? No. So you don't think that they're going to... Like, if there's going to be a deep green scare yeah. in the next five years, yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense that, that they're going to wrap up a bunch of anarchists in that they may i mean i don't know it's perhaps me <laughs> i'll write you a letter oh that's, that's nice. i'll write you a song oh that's even better as long as i get the, the profits <laughs> you know i i have a harder time denouncing what people's responses to this mess I, I have a hard time denouncing like how people respond to the world we're living in than I do so, I mean, denouncing I mean, their denouncements. Yeah, I, I, I'm not like like Ted Kaczynski was a no brainer for me. Sure. Like, right, right. Wh- why would I denounce what he's doing? It right. makes total sense. Right. ITS doesn't make as much sense to me personally, but at the same time, like I get where they're coming from. Like, do I approve? Do I do what I do? What they do? No. So if you were going to idealize what you think anarchists or specifically like a green anarchist space should do at this time, knowing that you're not going to be a participant, what would you propose we do today? Well, I mean, as far as like actually like physical conflict, Mm -hmm. I still stand by the idea that infrastructural damage is, uh, I I have hope in hackers. I have hope in... (laughs) In that kind of stuff, you know, like stuff that's actually going to destabilize the world we live. The, the way that people the, do business. The way that people do business. Yeah. The way that people communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, in the past five years, it has amazed me how people have just accepted this reality of social media and this intrusion in our lives. Like it's. I, w- I mean, again, we're in the country. I was just at a 
a mutual friend of ours' house yesterday, and at the breakfast table, three people were staring at their screens. Yeah, and it's amazing to me. I mean, I live... We don't have internet in our house. I don't have a cell phone. And I feel like I'm still able to live a face-to-face life with people around me. And I don't think that's the case for most people. And this is five years that it's... Yes. It's happened quickly, and things are going to change quicker and quicker. I mean, people are talking about chips in a positive way in their bodies. You know, like... (laughs) being able to know everything but again what like, what do like, we do from your perspective what do we do, do you think, do I, th- you think? I think infrastructural like bringing like i think well two things i mean personally i think we need to get to know each other have relationships face-to-face face-to-face relationships yeah. where, we, where they mean so, something so you think more on each other. so you think more gatherings i i think we yeah sure or not not, not gather <laughs> more in our daily lives like uh-huh. i'm glad there's more people that live in the, where i live now that have similar ideas because at, at the end of the day, I know, like, okay, I have a crew mm-hmm. who will... Of at least dozens. Of dozens. <laughs> who have each other's backs on mm-hmm. some level, have a similar perspective on the world. Uh, whatever we're going to go through, maybe we can make it through together in some way. So that, deeper connections in our lives, and also outwardly. Because I'm optimistic in, internally in relationships I have. I'm completely yeah, pessimistic like one of they people, do help. Yeah. As soon as you like, you're seeing through their eyes the beautiful <laughs> nature, the sunset. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't have a kids, you'd be just like me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe so. I don't know. They do. I mean, John talks about hope. I think hope outwardly is no delusion, a lot, delusional. A lot. I think hope inward. Like I, I believe in myself. It took me forty years to believe in myself. Like I'm not going to tear that shit down. I believe in certain people. I want authentic relationships with people I care about. Outwardly, I see nothing but misery getting worse and worse. So what are the options? I think, yeah, infrastructural damage, destabilizing economies, power grids, and the internet really is the only... The only viable thing. The only viable thing, really. But I see. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I don't think about this question. Um, but But I do... I mean, what is different, of course, about what it is that you're articulating is that, you know, ITS, they think that it's more important to just take random people out. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't exactly a strategic goal um, along the lines that you're talking about. You're, you're sort of talking about this is what I would do from a strategic perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah. Well, yeah, like, strategically, I don't think ITS is really doing much that I think is helping anything. I'm talking from a moral perspective. Like, I don't think... They, I don't have a moral sure, problem sure, with it, sure. and like to denounce it, really, I think you need to think that there's some other positive way sure. that we can go forward, and I don't think that's realistic. So, well, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you, Aragorn.